0: Yes, I need to speak with Wanda, please. Speaking. Wanda, good morning. Good morning. This is Johnny Hurston. I'm one of the academic advisors and student counselors up here at Community College, where your daughter goes, your daughter Barbara. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I spoke with Barbara Mm -hmm. in regards to her sister, Elise. Mm -hmm. Now, her sister just gave birth to a little baby. She said her name was Sierra. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to just want to talk to you as two adults as to why you have these two women in your house and one of them is getting pregnant. I don't want that to happen to Barbara because you done already raised least wrong. She ain't what married. What's your a... name is? My name is Johnny Hurston. Mr. Hurston. Yes, ma'am. And you asking me why is one of my daughters getting pregnant and you don't want the other one to get like that? Well, I'm just trying to look out for Barbara because when them kids have them babies, it's harder to get their education. Uh-huh. And see, you didn't already raised one heifer. And I don't want you to raise two. I raised a heifer. Well, and she you ain't... Don't want Barbara to get pregnant. Yeah, anymore. I don't want her to be no... Either. you know what i think you dialed the wrong number
1: hey everybody roy wood jr continues after the break
2: parents if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids i'm gonna let you into a little secret the koala moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine with original kids bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations Every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids.
4: Champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment, connected with. You. In a world with vulnerable considered weak, come and remove the veil from entertainment's elite. It's the difference between what is real and what the public sees. So here's your favorite celebrities behind the scenes. It's refreshing, authentic, the whole story, specific, life-altering events to shape the person that you hear. We got a champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. It's the greatest in sports and entertainment, Connected with it. every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion, champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. We got a champion and carry champion and carry champion.
1: When I was a kid, I would often hear, hey, you act just like your mama. Oh, you got your daddy in you. That was your daddy for sure. You behaving like your father. Um, Oh, yeah, you look like your mom. You for sure. You look like your mama or your dad. You know, we often hear we look like our parents. But when you get to a certain age, you then start to hear you're acting like them. And I have been told, over and over again, that it is inevitable. You will end up like your parents or act like your parents in some capacity. You probably, as you're listening to this, can think of things that you physically do or say or ways in which you respond or react that are very, very similar to your parents or whomever raised you. It may not be your mother, or your father, it could be your grandparents, but whomever raised you, whoever had the most influence on your life, will you then in fact have some of their traits. It's unavoidable. That's what I've come to learn. In my case specifically, I talk very honestly about the boundaries that I've put in place for me and my mother in order for us to have a form of a healthy relationship. With my family in general, my father as well. But in in order for us to have a healthy relationship, I've put these boundaries in place. And sometimes boundaries are respect of space. Sometimes they are a, well all the times, they are a respect of space. There are rules that are instituted if you are in someone's presence. Um, I give myself boundaries. I give my family boundaries. However, you can put up a wall. You can build a brick wall. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. There are these things that you will pick up from these people who have influenced you and raised you. It is inevitable. Or, um, contrastly, now that I think about it, you will behave the opposite of your parents based on how you were raised for instance you know if I'll make up something my mom smoked cigarettes now, I'm not making it up that's true but I knew I hated the smell of smoke and so I wasn't going to smoke cigarettes like that just was going to be a no-no And it was unhealthy. And I remember thinking as a kid, I'll never do that. It could drive you the opposite way. Their behaviors can make you react and respond in in the complete opposite direction. But it's all related to the fact that they have an influence on you. So today's guest, Roy Wood Jr., obviously named after his father. Um, This wasn't a therapy session, but as I'm talking to Roy, I'm really curious about why he decides as a comedian to to deliver the type of humor that he delivers he joined the daily show in 2015 as a correspondent when trevor noah became the new host taking over for john stewart there is a reason why he is a daily show correspondent yes he's funny but there is something else there how does he see humor um political humor and then how is he able to translate and digest that? Where's his interest? I'm just so curious about people who become correspondents, right? That are funny. You have to understand life and see life in a certain way. And I know it has a lot to do with how you're raised. So as you can guess, I asked all of these questions uh, and Roy was very naked. This episode um, is for those who really truly want to understand how their parents influence their life for better or for worse. No judgment here. Um, because when someone says, oh, you act like your parents, some of us may feel as if that's not a compliment. It is. In fact, it is a compliment. Because there are always redeeming qualities about any human you can find. I mean, I can name a handful that are not. But perhaps the most redeeming quality is they gave birth to you. They gave you life. How about that? I want you to sit back, relax, um, and listen to my friend, the comedian, the actor, the producer, also DJ back in the day, I don't know if he still do that, writer, uh, Roy Wood Jr.
0: My name is Roy Wood Jr. I was born in New York City, December 11th, 1978. Uh, not too long after that, um, my parents separated for a minute, and my mom and I headed down south. Uh, we were in Memphis, for a few years and somewhere around second or third grade. My parents worked it out and uh, we moved to Birmingham. And that's pretty much where I stayed until I left for Los Angeles until 2007. My parents' ambitions in education or their thirst for education, it, it didn't strike me as abnormal until I got older. Cause like you only know what you know you know, and all I knew was my house and you were never around any other friend long enough to know what was going on in their house. But, you know, we're talking about my mom. My mom was one of the first nine black people to integrate Delta State University in Mississippi, leading protests, sitting in front of the president's office, getting arrested, going to jail, all that. You know, so she was one of those people that was around that was out here in these streets, kicking down doors for education. So what you not going to do, little boy is not go get an education. Uh, My father was the same way. You know, my mom, you know, my father is a graduate of of Morehouse and my mother went on to get her graduate education at Florida A&M University and then started working at Miles College in Birmingham, which is also a private um, historically black college. So there was a sense of Blackness or being aware of where our people have come and what it would take to get over that hump. Like, I always felt like from an education standpoint, my parents were preparing me. They weren't preparing me on some read, write, know your numbers type shit. They were preparing me for dealing with the world as a Black person.
1: When Roy describes how he grew up and his family, more specifically his parents, The words that continue to come to mind and also what he said was teachers, activists, educators, revolutionary, the first. All of these labels are very interesting, especially for a black couple in Birmingham, Alabama. Being the first, as I often say, comes with its cuts and bruises. So I could only imagine his mom and his dad working in a way in which not only were they raising their son as a black person in America, but an educated black person in America. Roy talks about his father as a journalist. And he describes a man who was very dedicated to the craft. And it's a beautiful thing to hear.
0: My father was a journalist. My father um, was a I don't like the term civil rights journalist, but that's kind of what you would consider him now, if there's a word to put to it. You know, my father covered the Civil War in Rhodesia uh, back in the day. He covered the riots in Soweto. Um, he was embedded with black platoons in Vietnam on the front lines, capturing the racism and all of the wild stuff that was happening to, you know, Vietnam veterans. Uh came back to Chicago and started working um at well he was the first news director of this black news station called W V O N, which is still there today, uh Voice of the Negro. Uh he did a he did a talk show with Ernie Banks back in the day. Uh my father, you know, pretty much throughout the civil rights movement, you know, he was there. If it was happening, he had a tape recorder right there on the front lines. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I believe that was his passion was journalism and doing stuff for the people. I think family was always kind of a, I don't want to say a a second tier, uh, not a non-priority, but second tier to serving the people. I used to get sent to my dad's house from Memphis. My mom would put me on the plane, unaccompanied minor, (laughs) like back in those days. And. My dad got up every morning at 5 a.m., and by 5.30, he was in front of the printer. By 5.29, he was in front of the printer at WENN, ripping the AP wire stories off the printer. By 5.30, he was in the chair reading the news. And I sat there with whatever magazine, toy, whatever I needed to entertain myself. But it's 6 in the morning. I'm wide awake. I got a Hardee's biscuit in my hand because, you know, you know, black dude living alone he ain't cooking no breakfast at five in the morning and i know i ain't getting up at five And i have a son and i love him and i'm still not getting up at five you better get in there and pull you some cheerios so i would sit there with my father until 7 a.m and then at 7 a.m uh freddie palmer uh frankie palmer uh one of my father's co-workers um she would pick me up and she would take me to kingston elementary school and she was friends with one of the teachers. And they would stash me in the back of the classroom until 3.30. And that was my father's idea of like daycare was my first month of summer vacation was going back to school. And my dad would deliberately put me in a class that was the year ahead so that I could get a sneak peek of what I was going to be learning next year. This concept of, man, he work a lot. That never really Registered the only time, the only time it registered was when I played little league baseball. We, we moved to Birmingham, and I started playing little league at a Central Park. And they would always have like one game out of the season over the course of the summer. One game, and then, you know, over the course of the summer, would be the parents' game, where the parents come, and They would do the parents would play a softball game before the main game. Or whatever. And and he never came to that. He never came to that. And it, it probably wasn't. If I'm being honest with you, I it probably didn't truly register until I got through high school. And I was like, you know what? These motherfuckers ain't been the shit that I done done. They ain't been the shit. They can't. But then when I look back and I take account of where were they, my mother was in law school. My mother was working two jobs to supplement the income because marriage started tripping again. Pops was always somewhere on the air. So. It didn't feel neglectful. It was just like, oh, well, this isn't like everyone else's upbringing. Well, my relationship with my dad is different.
1: So Roy's being very naked about his parents' relationship. Not so much how it affected him at this moment, but more so about what the relationship was. Education was a priority. Uh, Being a black person and educated was a priority His mother was an extraordinary worker. Uh, Work ethic is out of control. His father's as well. However, Roy realized early on that, you know, his words are not mine, that the situation, the relationship was shaky. Together sometimes, not together sometimes. And as a result, as a young black kid, he really did not want to be a problem to his mother because his mother was doing it all as we do as black women. We do it all. Go to school, have kids, raise kids, be smart, be smart, go to school, be smart, get a good job. You name it. We do it all. Um, And he describes his relationship with his mother now.
0: You know, I didn't want to be in a, um, I never wanted to be a burden on my mom. And that was the thing that I always tried to avoid. So By the time I was 13, 14, I was hustling around town. You know, I and I figured out real fast that if you're willing to rake leaves in the Alabama summer or cut grass in that Alabama summer, you're going to make some money. Ten yards, 15 front and back. Rake one house, get all the leaves up in October, knock on their door. If they say no, cool. I'm going to wait till you go to sleep and I'm going to ride my bike back over there and I'm going to sprinkle leaves in your front yard. And then next week, I'm going to come ask you again. Mob shit. <laughs> Be a shame if somebody put a bag of leaves all over your yard and you'd have to pay ten dollars to get them get them raked up.
1: I definitely respect Roy's hustle when it comes to making money as a kid, like, like rake up some leaves in my yard right now. I ain't got no money to give you, though. Meanwhile, um, back to his relationship with his mother. I appreciate the way in which he's been so naked in describing what they have gone through and who she was, the type of woman she was, the type of life she lived. Um, He says that his family, more specifically his mom, she was truly a local celebrity. What he does now doesn't really matter. People may see him on TV. That may sound great, but he grew up in a community where he is quote unquote known and successful in Hollywood. But none of that matters because the real value is what have you done for the people around you?
0: Birmingham is a weird city in that. Birmingham doesn't respect celebrity. In that sense, they respect what you do. They respect that you've poured into. In Birmingham, you are measured by what you have done or what you're trying to do for the community there in the 205. You can go prance around cable and be the man all over Hollywood. But if you're not trying to do something that pours back into the crib, it's fuck you. And so there's, you know, in my time moving around Birmingham, you get recognized here and there. But it's not on some, oh, my God, it's, it's just, oh, yeah, that's wood. What's up? But the real the real conversations, the real connected moments that I've had with people in Birmingham is with the people who wouldn't have graduated if it weren't for my mama. And those are the people that pulled me to the side in the grocery store and talked to me for 20 minutes about something she did. And, you know, she's always only wanted the best, you know, for me, same as everybody else. But in a lot of ways, she's no different than my dad. She loves what she does. She's never going to retire. You know, my father worked up until three weeks before the cancer made him too weak to go to the radio station. Otherwise, he'd have died on the air.
1: We have to pay the bills on time when we come back. More of Roy Wood Jr. Every
4: champion and carry champions to be a champion. and champion and carry champion and carry champion. Of champion and carry champion and carry champion. Raiders and sports and entertainment connected.
0: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work.
1: Hey everyone, thank you for listening. Roy Wood Jr. continues. Admittedly, Roy says his parents were both alike, which leaves me to think, God, Roy, I see and hear your parents in you, your father more specifically. And Roy then gets very candid and talks about his father's death. And I want you to hear how I believe it was painful to talk about, but there is such a stubbornness, maybe that's not the right word, but there's such a toughness surrounding him when he discusses it. That same toughness that his father displayed.
0: I think that my father didn't want people to, treat him differently so he didn't tell a lot of people as i remember it if i remember it co- correctly i don't even think he took chemo because we made him too weak he just took pain shots or you know i don't know what the non-chemo alternatives are for cancer the the convenient thing about cancer is that you get to go through the mourning process so by the time the person dies you're kind of I don't know. You're ready to get off that roller coaster. Or at least I was. It didn't make me sad. You know, which is which is a weird thing to say. But I kind of processed death as this thing that happens to people like I'd already understood that. That's the advantage to growing up with pets. You learn about death and loss and, you know, the whole life cycle. You know, very early, my mother got robbed at an ATM in Tennessee when I was in the first grade. And I remember crying about that as if she had died. And like that was the first conscious idea that, yo, your parents, they're not going to fucking be here forever. So how do you, you know, cherish the time that you have and, you know, all of that type of stuff? So it wasn't, it's not like the movies, put it that way. It ain't like the movies where a motherfucker come home and say you got cancer, and the family all makes a prayer circle and they hug and that. Like, it was as simple as your daddy bought a new car. One morning, my brother called and he said, um, "Put your mom on the phone." And I knew what the, my older—I have older half siblings as well. My older brother called and he goes, "Put your mom on the phone." My mama came back in the room and like it's like six thirty in the morning. It's a school. It's a Monday morning. And she goes, your father passed. Do you still want to go to school? And I say, yeah, I still want to go to school. And for me, like even now to this day, my default is, is to adhere to a regular schedule. And, you know, we can argue whether or not that's emotionally healthy, but that's my path. That's what works for me is... To still have a North Star in the midst of, you know, whatever sucky shit is going on. But by third period, I had to go home because at this point, my father's death is on the news. It's the top of the morning news on every channel. And so now it's awkward at school because everybody knows. And when everybody knows that your dad is dead and you're at school. People look at you weird, you know. So I had to take the rest of the week off. He died on a Monday. We buried him Thursday at 16th Street Baptist Church.
1: I think it's really hard to have a parent that you love and sometimes don't like. I think it's difficult to know the difference between the two, loving a parent and not liking a parent, because it's a parent. The title in itself commands respect. Whether you love them or like them, it just does. And so it's always hard to unpack that relationship. I very candidly asked Roy, do you like your father? Uh, And I asked him that because I'm feeling all of the emotions that I have towards my mother as he describes his relationship with his father. And it's so difficult.
0: You know, there was a lot of confliction and and that's hard to unpack, especially when you're 16 and your pops dies. And you have to unpack. Bad husband, good father, it's it's the it's the ideal of what he meant to black people and what he meant to the black community and what he meant to black journalism, especially black journalism in Birmingham. There are droves of people. In the city of Birmingham who would not have their jobs today if not for my father at some point mentoring them or putting them on or giving them an internship or whatever. So my father is respected. My father one of the people who gave Don Cornelia some of the front money to shoot the first pilot for Soul Train, then declined to be a producer on the program when it became a success. But sometimes. You kind of don't do what you were supposed to do as a husband, bro but that's not for the world to know. That's not for people to even comprehend because you have to allow, and this is something that took me a long time to learn and understand over the years after his passing is that how other people and how he is remembered, you cannot change that. But our relationship, that's just between he and I, you know? So I cannot project onto other people what to feel and, and, Vice versa.
1: So, at this point in the conversation, I, I stop and I ask Roy, "Do you see the connection?" Because I hear it. I hope you hear it. It goes back to that same old thing when I said we become our parents whether we want to or not. Um, the connection between his father as a broadcast journalist and and Roy Wood Jr. as a not only a namesake but as a correspondent on The Daily Show, a comedian, an actor, an influencer. I see it so very clearly. And I wonder if he does.
0: So I wanted to be a firefighter growing up. That's all I wanted to be. I wanted to be a firefighter. I can look back and I was always funny and chuckling and making people laugh or whatever. But if you'd have asked me until the day my father died, it was firefighter. I had a firefighter. I was going to be a um was it a fire inspector? I was gonna major in pyrotechnics, and all, I took all this extra chemistry in school so I could prepare myself for the. And then, and then the rise of Stuart Scott happens on ESPN that year. And the next year, CNN SI signs on, and there's a gentleman named Fred Hickman, who also did sports. On a regular basis. and Then. There was a woman Jenny Moose. And then there was another dude named Van Earl Wright. And. If you listen to any Van Earl Wright. Sports highlight package. I'm not going to say on cocaine. But it's at least a Red Bull. This man's tempo and high octane it was just amazing and it was funny and Stuart Scott was using the words that I use at the lunch table and Fred Hickman had this refineness about him that I thought that I could do as well and that's just sounding like my father I am Roy Wood senior but I had to find that on my own my comedy wasn't all opinionated real world issues back then I was just I took over for Ricky Smiley I was cracking prank phone calls like that was what I was known for for the beginning days and then as I started co-hosting and hosting the morning show then we started you know adding in a little more stuff but if my father never dies I am quite potentially the most articulate firefighter in the city of Birmingham well excuse me fire inspector by now my mom is listening she would
1: want me to make inspector did you hear what he just said if his father never dies Which led me, obviously, to the next question. We got to talk about legacy. What part of his profession, what he currently does now, reminds him most of his father?
0: Uh, There is a legacy. You know, whether I like that or not, there's a legacy. My father did a gang of speaking engagements, you know. Only difference between, I'd say, Dick Gregory and my dad is that Dick Gregory got laughs. laughs. But, you know, they were both spitting that real shit. And, you know, he traveled and people respected his words. Um, I used to go with him on speaking engagements. You know, that last year before he died, like that was my thing. When I got um, I turned 15. And I got a learner's permit, and so I essentially became his driver because that was the only time I could drive on the freeway was when I was taking him to Montgomery at the time he was teaching. He was doing a Saturday radio show in Montgomery on top of his regular news duties and a jazz show with fucking cancer, with no chemo. So Saturdays, Saturdays were our day and it wasn't really, um, it wasn't a lot of talking. He slept most of the time, but I just enjoyed it because like that was, that was the first time really building a relationship with the road and the freeway and, The truck. He had a CB radio. My pops. Yo, he had a CB radio in the car that he would that he had bought. Sometimes he would come to Memphis to pick me up. It wasn't always an unaccompanied minor or whatever. And so he had a CB radio in his Cadillac and I would just talk to truck drivers. I would just straight up talk to strangers on the road. I had a road handle and it was it was like that was. That was like the that one hour to Montgomery and back, that was the playground. Like that was, you know, those those were if you want to talk about a good memory, there's there's that one. That was that was a good time. Um but I would say that my father and I, if you go back and listen to a lot of his old speeches and a lot of his news commentaries, my father and I are angry about a lot of the same things. We speak to a lot of the same things. Our content is. Is for the same people. I just figured out a way to put a couple extra jokes in there. If you're measuring myself and my father at the same mile marker with regards to just relationships with women or marriage and things of that nature. um, I would argue not similar, but, you know, some people argue that multiple marriages is the same as not being married if it's about fear and not being, you know, being noncommittal or something like that. And that's fair. And that's a fair argument. But then there's also the side of, well, how many kids do you have and are they all okay? Are they all are you present for all of them? You know, by some accounts, I'm nine of 11 kids. I'm the only one by my mother. But if we go with that number, I'm nine of 11. So I ain't that. And I'm never going to be that because, number one, I can't afford it. I would have to host a daily show instead of just being a correspondent on it to take care of 11 kids in this economy. Um, I'm good with the one and I'm good being there and being present for them. And I'm good figuring out ways that I can work my schedule out so that I can show up to a couple of the baseball games. I ain't going to make it to all of them. I can already resign myself to that truth. But in that absence it's about your child understanding and knowing where you are in that absence and why you're absent and what it is you're trying to accomplish not just for yourself but for them dick gregory said and i quote they asked me why i'm always on the road and dick gregory said i'm always on the road because of struggling at my house
1: relationships are complicated that's obvious relationships with your family members can be very complicated However, as Roy talks about this man who has influenced him, his father, um, and I think this is, in my humble opinion, quite frankly, influenced his career and the man that he has become today, is fascinating. It's fascinating because his father was this respected, loved man within the community. But then at home, there were problems, as there are problems with every home. And from far away, it looks beautiful, But if you get up close with a magnifying glass, you see the wrinkles and the blemishes and the areas that need to be worked on. And that's understandable because as I'm talking to him, it's therapy for me. But his father is no longer here. And as he works through these unresolved emotions, or maybe he doesn't, I don't know. I think for me, there's an urgency where I say, Carrie, you need to have a better relationship with your mom. Because what happens when she's not here anymore? And that's for anybody that you love but have a hard time liking. Roy's very definitive about who he is and, 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 and where he's going in life and what he's been able to accomplish. And he's also very well aware of the type of dad he wants to be. You heard him talk about that. But I'm curious, what would happen if his father were still here?
0: If my father was still alive, there would be some conversations that would need to be had before we could sit down and chop it up and have a beer and watch baseball. I'll put it that way. That's probably because I literally don't know how to answer that cleanly because, you know, do I love my father? Of course I do. But then I also purposely didn't name my son Roy Wood III so that he could have his own journey free and clear of this name.
1: Anybody listening to this podcast can relate to having an uncomfortable relationship. Now, when you factor in the parentals, the parents, the mother, the father, the grandmother, anyone who raised you, anyone who you love but don't like, that really, truly is the most uncomfortable feeling to have because it's pressing and it affects how you live your everyday life. And I'm speaking from my heart and my truth. Me not having a great relationship with my mother affects how I live my everyday life. It affects how I love. It affects how I interact with people, with women, with men, um, with the gardener. It really, truly does. And you may not see it because you're not being mindful. But if you are mindful, you do understand that there are limits that you place on yourself. And the same boundaries that I have placed on my mom, I place on people. And that is heavy. It immediately puts me on defense when I meet someone for no reason, but I stay on defense because I don't wanna be hurt the same way that I've been hurt by my mother. And that's not fair to anybody in my circle, in my surroundings. And I'm grateful that I am now learning that's what I'm doing so I can release that and I can take that heaviness off my spirit, but it just happens. And you have to unlearn so much from your childhood as you go into your adulthood. So when Roy shares this story, and I, and I kid you not me saying he's just like his father, just like his mother is a compliment. Hardworking people, smart people, intelligent people, wanting to do good for others, all the things in which Roy Wood Jr. encompasses his platform. He uses for good. And he gives us humor in the process. I'm going to educate you, but I'm also give you some candy. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll receive it. And while he struggles with this relationship, with his father more specifically, um, there's so much good in that man. And he knows it and he sees it. But he's also aware of the fact, as I mentioned earlier, we got to end some generational curses. So my son doesn't become the third. My son has his own journey. My son will do his own thing. I don't want him to feel obligated to do any of the things that I've done or what my father has done. And kudos to you, Roy, for saying that. And kudos to you for even recognizing that some things have to change, that perhaps many things need to change. But I appreciate you telling your story because it is food for my soul. It is a reminder that I have to have the relationship with my parentals that I want, that I have to go and get it. They are who they are. And I need to do it before they're not here. So that we can have the conversation, the uncomfortable conversation. Only in a way in which they can receive it, but the com- uncomfortable conversation is for me. That would be for Roy if he had it. Ugh, I don't have any answers, guys. I don't. <laughs> All I know is that I got to do the work, that inside job. It's really hard to have an uncomfortable relationship with a parent. That's all I can say. Roy, I thank you for sharing your story. More specifically, I thank you for helping us understand why you are the comedian you are today, because you have that wonderful blood of Roy Wood Sr., who was a civil rights broadcast journalist, saving the world, educating Black people, doing the best. I mean, heck, he put Soul Train on the air, y'all. Y'all heard that. I mean, you got to, come on, you got to respect, let's focus on the good, change our perspective. That's what I'll leave you with.
2: on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids.